Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I am pleased to share a discussion from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference on the future of mobile data and clinical trials. This presentation features NYU's Dr. Paul Glimscher and Dr. Dan Carlin, who is now CEO of Health Mode. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place on September 16th in Boston. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Paul, I've had a chance to talk a ton today, so maybe if you kicked off by telling everybody who you are. So I'm Paul Glimscher. I am, uh, by training, a physiologist. I've been in and out of medical research as a PI for the last 25 years. About four years ago, as part of a large-scale public health project, I created a data collection system which turned into DataCubed, which was spun out as an NYU joint venture about two years ago. So I've thought a lot about mobile data, first as a PI working at hospitals like NYU Langone where I still have an appointment, and more recently as a vendor building systems for people like me to use. Um, I'd say that the most interesting thing is I did not appreciate how steep the barriers are uh, when I was someone sort of advocating for change on the other side. Now that I find myself trying to sell stuff um, to people like me, I realize that the barriers are really, really steep, and that a lot of the barriers are really um, dumb little barriers that we haven't talked about much today because everybody here has drunk the Kool-Aid. Um, but you know, I meet tons of people in large pharma organizations represented here who say, gosh, I don't know about a digital version of the Parkinson scale, the UPDRS. Gosh, that's pretty, pretty edgy and crazy. Uh, even if the physician fills it out, I feel a little uncomfortable about that. And, and so I would say that about half of the CROs we talk to, the barrier to not using paper is just enormous, and it makes people crazy. Um, and now Dan and I worry about much more I think cutting edge things, like how do we build real metrics that we can all share, how do we make things open source, how do we make tools that everybody can rally around, but I think we shouldn't underestimate how huge the barrier is to entry. Having entered, then there's a whole second set of issues. Yeah, and I, I suspect that the that big future vision doesn't get you over that first speed bump. I mean, the future vision, I feel like we lose the people who say, well, I've got paper, that seems fine. Almost, It's almost like antithetical. That's their point, is that future vision is somewhere out there and it's not tomorrow in my trial. What's the, what's the pitch for the near term? Why is it worth it? Why is it worth throwing away the forms? And Well, so, I mean, what we generally find is there are kind of two or three categories of barriers. The first is, uh, I'm a little CRO. I'm going to use paper until I die. You guys probably hear this all the time. And, and so those are people you should just walk away from. You're just totally wasting your time with them. The, I think the best candidate for a company our size is uh, somebody who says, we're a little to medium CRO. We don't have any digital expertise. Um, we gather that we could save a lot of time and money and improve data quality. Um, we're looking for a partner. Those, I think, are the people who really don't have much of a barrier. And then the third group are big pharma, you know, top 25 pharma who have a mixture of we do it in-house, um, we don't actually do it in-house, but we claim to do it in-house. Um, we're actually totally open to innovation, but uh, by the way, we don't innovate. And, and so I find them really the hardest because, I mean, when you hear some of that here, they kind of talk both sides of the game, which is we're really open to it, but 
and I'm the decision maker, but the guy above me who actually makes the decision said no. And so once you're in the door, right, like, you know, what you're working on are things that, that fundamentally, I think, the data you're able to access via your systems contain a whole new type of information about the world. What's, what's, the, what's the end game? Where do you see this going? Yeah, I, I like the discussion about the implicit discussion of real world information and the FDA saying, um, geez, we, we really like the idea of you getting new real world information. We also hear this all the time. I'm sure the medical guys hear this all the time. Um, but the truth is uh, our sponsors don't want that. As a general rule, you don't have, I don't think, I can think of but two examples where a sponsor said, I want a new data type to see what that means. Uh, instead, what sponsors say is, can you collect this traditional data type cheaper and more effectively? So actually, I think this has been frustrating to us because D3 was really built on this huge public health study where the idea was it would all be real world evidence. Um, you would know whether someone actually had tremor in the environment by looking at what the phone did when it was in their hand, to take today's example. But now the FDA's position is that's not a measure of tremor when you're moving around in the environment is not a measure of tremor. Uh, a measure of tremor is when you stand in front of a clinician and hold both hands out and he gives you a rating on a scale. And, and so, I mean, I struggle with this because I think we got into it with tremendous expertise on gathering real-world evidence. And the idea that if we compared tremor measured in the real world with tremor from a standard scale, we would call the real world one the gold standard, and we would use it to assess whether or not the clinical instrument was efficient. And we find that causality inverted all the time, and our sponsors don't want to hear that story because the FDA doesn't want to hear that story. And so here I think the FDA is a tremendous barrier to innovation. I mean, that's not totally inappropriate, but I just think it is because someone comes to us with a phase four clinical trial, they know what they have to measure. And if we can produce the validated scale that they need, faster and cheaper, that's great. But nobody cares about whether you really have tremor or whether you're really having trouble sleeping. They care about whether you can deliver the Pittsburgh sleep inventory. And I have some thoughts on what we do about that. And I, yeah, I made I a couple of points before. But fr from your perspective, are there, are there resonant points? How do we do this pre-competitively? How do we say your sleep measure and their sleep measure and my sleep measure, all of which may not be measuring the same thing, but we think are probably all better than a Pittsburgh sleep inventory, which is, is affected by mood, is, is by sleep. How do, we, how do we take these things that we each own and that we're each trying to sell into, into the same industry and progress a conversation with regulators where I've, I've routinely argued that we don't want the regulators to tell us how to innovate, because that might be even worse than current states. I mean, I don't have a silver bullet there. My, I mean, unfortunately, this is a really new field from the point of view of the companies. I mean, you look at the people in the room representing the corporate side, and none of these are 50-year-old companies. I mean, companies are two or three or four or five years old. And so people who run those companies are not in a position to set standards or take big risks. You know, you could imagine a place 10 years down the road where a company that's a market leader and has... $20 billion a year in business says, look, we're pushing a new thing. We're going to take to the FDA. We're going to demand that this is a better measure of sleep, or this is a better measure of tremor. At this point, unfortunately, the little companies that are pretty much all startups, 
they're in a position of having to meet market demand. So I think turning to the technology providers and saying, can you guys solve that problem, is just impractical. I think what really has to happen is a company on the scale of a Pfizer or a Novartis has to say, you know, we actually believe that a measure of real-world tremor is more important than a tremor rating in a doctor's office, and we're going to push that as an alternative, we're going to build it into our trials, and we're going to use it to argue that our measures are better, or our drug is better, or our patient stratification is better. If I had one hope, it's that patient stratification will drive this. Um, of course, if you have the number one drug, you don't care about anything other than maintaining market share. But if you have the number two drug, you're worried about market stratification. And that means you're in a position to look for new metrics, which will allow you to identify, this is a plea, obviously, to the top 25 in the audience. You're looking for new metrics. And what are they good for? They allow you to stratify your drug into patient cohorts and say, this is the best drug for this cohort. Even though we don't have the market leader, we know that with this cohort, we don't have to be the number two drug. So we often say to top 25 companies, you know, think about a phase four trial you've got running right now. If you can think, if, you know, we'll help you think about three or four or five very inexpensive, high-value, real-world evidence measures. And you can think about using them as a tool for identifying a stratified, improved patient cohort to take your number two drug into market faster or with a larger group of cohort, larger group of uh, patients as the first-order drug. So if I had to pick one path forward, it would be for the top 25 to say, we're open to patient stratification with real-world evidence. That's some place we can make money, and it's not very expensive. We want to do it in post-approval monitoring and, you know, bring us your best measures, and let's see if we can sort of get them in the door that way. I think bringing them in the door for phase three is just completely hopeless. And asking, expecting little companies to do it is just not realistic. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is a little tricky, though, to imagine how you back that subdivided diagnosis into regulatory landscape either, right? I mean, this is sort of, this is almost the opposite of what I was saying before, which is let's do this pre-competitively from, from sort of target identification through phase three, so you've got that runway, versus let's actually do something that's a clear market play, accepting that it is, but, but, it, but also acknowledging that they might get a measure at least into common use. Here's might be a... It's a little more, more cynical. It's a little <laughs> skeptical, maybe. It's, it's certainly well thought through. It's not without an answer. And I want to make sure there is. So folks have, uh, we'll keep talking for three and a half more minutes. But if, if anybody, <laughs> we're very precise around here. If anybody wants to come up and ask questions of either of us, feel free to, to walk to the mic and we'll stop and let you go. The switching gears a little bit. In the world, right now, is there something that may, so we, we've used global clinical impression as if that's a meaningful thing for a really long time, as if it's become, it became meaningful because we used it. Is there anything out there in the world, any, any set of data, any measurement that you think if we all walked toward, we might generate a nice summative measure that maybe we could all measure in slightly different ways but would have value across a bunch of TAs? So I'll give my answer, um, but I know that some of the pharma people will be edgy. Um, Geotracks are the most underused, most valuable data source, I think, in the world today. Let me, now, I know people freak out on a couple of grounds. One is, people often say to us, what am I going to do with all those latitude and longitudes? And I totally agree, you don't want latitude <laughs> and longitude. Or people say, gosh, there's a privacy issue there. I totally agree, you, want to, you're you should be worried about the privacy issue. But what we want is boiled down measures, like 
How many hours a day does that person spend walking? And at what average speed? How many hours a day do they spend stationary? How many hours a day do they spend biking? That's just movement data. And that data is trivial to extract. And for a company like us, we can do that on the phone, and we can throw away the raw data so there's no privacy issue. And that's a really great, simple measure. How about another one? Do they go to the gym? How long do they go to the gym for? That's really easy. All you need is the geotrack location. You know where the gyms are. It's all in Skyhook and Google's databases. And so I can say, oh, this person went to the gym, went to a gym for this number of hours. Smoking is another example like this. Um, what does it mean if we're in Boston? It's minus 10 Fahrenheit, and somebody goes outside their office and stands in front of the door for five minutes and comes back inside. I mean, maybe they're stretching their legs. Weed delivery? <laughs> yeah, weed delivery. <laughs> but not, with a not very prompt uh, delivery boy. So, I, I mean, I think there are a ton of real-world things that we can get out of GeoTracks. And it's just one data source. It's really easy to gather. It would be really easy to solve the kinds of problems you've been thinking about with activity measures for the last five years. Because here we could all agree it's number of minutes you, you in know, motion. You know what I like about GeoTracks, of course? Yeah, no. Like since the days of sextants, we sort of standardized the, the rate. You're actually, much like other things, like blood pressure, we've standardized the measure so that it wouldn't matter if it was your geotrack that's or true. my geotrack. It's the boiling that's a little bit proprietary, yeah. but we can make that. But then do we need to, this is one where we've weighted privacy so heavily that maybe we've tossed out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, but this is, I mean, this is really silly. I mean, we hear this all the time, and it's just silly. If I report how many hours a day you walked, and there is no record created anywhere in the pipeline, including in the user's phone, of what your geotrack was. There's no privacy issue there, besides which the person who's carrying that smartphone has given their geotrack to AT&T, Verizon, Google, I'm surprised Waze. You, yeah, I'm surprised you even want to make the argument that you'll, that you'll de-identify it that much. Maybe the argument should be, yes, we're geotracking. You and, want to and shut, we want to shut it off for an hour, press snooze. Well, I mean, you're not allowed to do that with AT&T. That's your contract. And they have more accurate geotracks than any of us yeah. have because they use their cell phones, their cell towers to triangulate. So that's my favorite. And I think it'd be great. That's the best, easiest, lowest hanging fruit. It's a great, it, I agree. It's a great one. Really, really good. So we're out of time up here. We didn't get any questions from the crowd. I think we wore them out with that last exercise. Any uh, closing thought here beyond geotracks? Yeah, I mean, I would really urge uh, Top 25 Pharma to think creatively about real-world evidence and find the places where it goes. There are places where it is a value add. I really think it's probably stratification in post-approval marketing. Then we have a lot of simplicity because we're talking about marketing, even though we're establishing a clinical measure. But uh, I think that expecting the new kids on the block to produce that innovation is just unrealistic. The new kids on the block are trying to get business. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a realistic view of the world, for sure. <laughs> and I, I think, to me anyway, it's good to hear it, and I hope folks uh, folks appreciate that, that, that view of the, the data landscape. Great. All right, thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place September 16th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. And for getting to the end of this podcast, take advantage of a 10% discount with code MRADIO, 
Again, that's a 10% discount with code MRADIO, and the website is theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.